Welcome to episode six of season two of Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Peter Crable. What's up, man? What's up? And Mr. C.H. Siddons. Hello. It's good to be back. How are you guys? Doing great. Glad to be back. Good to see, good to see you. You can find me at R.W. Dodd on Twitter, Mr. Crabes at Peter Crable, and Mr. Sids at C.H. Siddons. You can also find Ed's Not Dead at Ed's Not Dead PC. Did I get it all covered? Because I'm, I'm a little out of practice. Facebook, we're on the Facebook, right? And, um, and our website, and our website is notdead.com. Okay. And uh, if you can, if you're listening right now and you're in the car, or you're running, or walking, mm-hmm. or just sitting around, mm-hmm. we want you to go on iTunes and leave us some feedback. We would love you to just give us a couple stars. Give us some stars, like yeah. at least three. Seems reasonable. Maybe right. four. All right, let's, let's five start. if you really. If you're into it so thanks for listening thanks for tuning in it's great to be back we had a nice winter shutdown which we'll get to in just a second but <laughs> we have a terrific show tonight we are going to be exploring a possible future strike uh teacher strike in california yeah could by the time this episode comes out it could be a a current strike a reality yeah okay yeah um so that's going to be interesting and uh we have a special guest mr sids correct that's right yeah, we do. We have Erica Buddington from the Langston League, founder of the Langston League, a curriculum company based in New York City. It's going to be a great interview. I'm very excited to have her on. She's uh, she's all over Twitter. She's a little famous, which you'll find out later. Oh, we like famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That famous help. teacher. That helps the show. Yeah. Uh, we got a great show tonight, so let's jump right in. So there's going to be uh, potentially a teacher strike in California. Mm-hmm. And uh, in LA, in LA, um, and it's not completely clear. We'll we'll let our listeners know exactly why it's happening. There there seem to be a bunch of different factors, and people on both sides have strong opinions about why it should or shouldn't happen. Um, but but we know that LA Unified is. Um, one of the largest school systems in the country. 900 schools, 930,000 teachers, yeah. and 600,000 students. That is a big school system. Yeah. Um, Let me also say 80% free, free and reduced, reduced meals, meals. Yeah. and 20% English language learners. Yep. So um, many needs there. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, I guess, if you're at 80%, it's mostly a high poverty system now. Yeah. Uh, so... The teachers are demanding what, Mr. Graves? Variety of things. I mean, pay raises is is one of them. But if I think if you ask them, that is not first and foremost because they were offered. I think it's six percent pay raise that they That's rejected. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so they're all. They say over classes sizes are just insanely huge, mm-hmm. and point to repeated class sizes of forty five, which is an educator you know is really big, um, as well as just like a comprehensive school. So school nurses that are there more than once a week. Right. Um, nurses, I, I'm sorry, I just said that, uh, music and art teachers. Right. So just kind of teachers that are there every day in and out instead of traveling all across the county, which is huge. LA County is enormous. Um, so just, yeah, more complete schools. And I, I think it's interesting. One of the things in the uh, Sacramento Bee article that I found um, talked about they want to have that, that raise, that 6% raise, But the kicker that really sticks out to me is something that happened in Pennsylvania a bunch of years ago. They go on strike all the time up up where I'm from in Northeast Pennsylvania. Up in PA. Up in (laughs) I knew you were going there. Sorry. (laughs) That's all right. Um, But they 
they want they have their health care and their pension plan fully paid by the district. Yeah. Let that sink in. They don't the, the teachers don't put any skin in the game. None. They don't pay no. into the system at all. No. It says healthcare fully paid by the district and a pension plan would be unchanged under both proposals. Hmm. This is in So Right. It just it's just interesting that um it just doesn't look good in terms of PR. It when they went on strike in Pennsylvania in a district near where I grew up, it they were going to change it from zero to something negligible. In terms of what people paid in? Correct. Instead of 100% paid by the district, the teachers would have some sort of input and they would be paying into it to some degree. And it made the teachers look selfish. Interesting. Um, So let's let's zoom out, though, because this is... (coughs) It's a little bit more complex than just locally and LA Unified. This this is a larger state issue in California. Yeah, some really interesting sub-issues right. in there. So California now is, uh, after this booming economy that we've had over the last few years, is is rolling in the dough at the state level, apparently. Yeah. Um, with, of course, the expectation that there are going to be entitlements that they're going to have to pay for in the future. But, right. they, but they do have a lot of money. They're in the, they're in the black. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, apparently, LA Unified or even systems all across California are are woefully underfunded at the state level. What's that? What's that about? So the little bit of reading that I did. Um, so in 1978, California passed Proposition 13, and what that did is it capped uh, property taxes at one percent of an assessed value for that. So what this has served to do is really restrict um, the amount of money, the inflow into California's coffers. Now, you know, I mean, I guess you could say, well, doesn't every system in the county, or I'm sorry, in the state deal with that? But what some districts have gotten away with doing is something called a parcel tax, where it's just a tax. They're just like, everybody who owns something pays X amount, regardless of whether you have a one-room shack or a hundred-room palatial mansion, and so what's happened is that more affluent suburbs are able to make up for the gap in state funding by doing a parcel tax right. so, at the local level. Correct, right. taxing, right. funding their schools right. as much as they want. Right. LA Unified, eighty percent right. poverty yeah. is not able to yeah, do the that. The tax base is not correct. There. Yeah. Correct. So, um, yeah, and I mean, it's interesting too with California as a as a bastion of liberalism and and um you know and and kind of progressivism as it relates to education and other social issues uh they uh, because of because of prop 13 underspend to this day i mean prop 13 was what what year mr craves 78 78 um so 40 years ago yeah and and so it has had long-term effects on their ability to fund education adequately i think it said that what are they? They're at per per pupil. They're at half of what New York is. Yeah, eleven thousand. Eleven thousand yeah. per yeah. pupil. I, I mean, I feel like in in Maryland, eleven thousand is in the rearview mirror from a long time ago. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they're gonna. I, and I just can't understand why they can't do something about Prop Thirteen. But you're the political science expert. Yeah, well, just historically, they don't overturn propositions. Propositions just don't get. It costs a lot of money. Um, a lot of special interests and stuff like that. So typically what you see in California, 
the propositions that get put forward are those that have some sort of backing strongly on one side or the other who are really able to to do the the um the signatures and then you know the billboards or however right. else they're getting out for their position and then you know people do need to show up on election day to actually have their voices heard which you know is not exactly a strength always in this country is for everyone to show up on election day and vote one way or the other so this is financial but some of it is political because uh in the article in the los angeles times uh that we read who's it by uh sonali cull from january 9 2019 um there is definitely a part of this that's related to charter schools and choice um, sounds like the union feels very strongly that that members of the board and the superintendent are pro charter, and are and have been willing to funnel money um, away from public schools into the charters, and which has which has hurt hurt the public schools. And one thing I was listening to our interview with Zaretta Hammond, yes, our podcast interview, back in the back in the good back old in days. the day, um, and we were talking about private schools, and I was. Um, Railing on them, <laughs> private schools. God, that and was like of, the theme of season one. It was, and I was. I made a comment that made me cringe a little bit, but now I, I don't care anymore. But uh, it was basically that private schools are funneling away children from the public school system in a way that is obviously detrimental to our coffers, but it's also um, it's it's detrimental to the quality of education that kids are getting because people are not, are people's idea of a public education is diminishing. And one of the things that they mentioned in one of the articles that we're, why is we're, it? Dimi- I don't whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't get, I don't, if, if you're putting kids in a private school, why does, why does that diminish people's perceptions of what, of the value of a public education? I'm, let me answer that in a minute. Because uh, that you can't, <laughs> I'm going to, because in, let me get to my point. Stop interrupting me. Uh, what? In the article itself, it talks about how, how there are wealthy and white families who are right. moving away okay. from public schools and so, putting their children into private schools. Right. So the more that we have that go out, there's going to be less and less people that want to put in or feel okay with paying higher taxes for public education. Therefore, the, 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 the importance of a public education is therefore going to be diminished because why do I need to pay for that if I have my kids going into private school? Yeah, but that argument doesn't hold water in L.A., because or in California, because yeah. taxes are capped anyway. Property taxes are capped, yeah, so they're yeah, not asking. Yeah. Yeah. So the to rich, pay the in rich, more. Right. Everybody the, pays in one percent. I understand that, but if in the in the event that they try to raise taxes or try to change the funding formulas for how schools are funded in California, I would imagine that would be in play in terms of how people treat that political argument. But this is not about private schools. Is it about private schools? I think it's about private schools. I think private schools have a very big set. If you have all the these, if you have, uh, if we start trying to change the funding formulas, the people that are sending their kids to private schools are going to have a major say in this because they're probably the same people that have power politically, socially, whatever in a community. They're the people yeah, that are no, connected. They know the yeah, connections. Yeah, they mo- know the people that are connected mo- to money talks, baby. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot of assumptions in there. I mean, in <laughs> he, just, he just made a very they did, face. They did. Come on. But I'm just saying, um, you know, and I have not seen any particular numbers associated with dollars that are funneled away from public schools in California. I do know from the union's point of view that, yes, they do say that um, essentially that charter schools are allowed to cherry pick students away from the public school system. So it sounds like one of the things that they want, it's not the closure of charter schools, it's the regulation of charter schools. So they right. can't just pick and choose right. and say, right. 
you know, like we've talked about in right. Michigan, where like you high need student, right. I'm not yeah. going to take you, right. but you with X Y Z yeah. test scores, right. yeah, I will take you. Right. Um. So certainly that is, I think, a big time problem. Right. Um. And again, I just don't know enough about school funding in in terms of reliability and how that affects you know schools from one year to the next. Um, in terms of planning based on a specific amount of money that right. they're getting. And and I would argue just that instead of, I mean, instead of blaming private schools, I mean, the state is responsible for Proposition 13. I mean, that was a, that I, I mean, the, the, the citizens of the state supported that back in 1978, but one could argue that Prop 13 over time undermined public schools. Yeah. Not, not, not private schools. Yeah. I when mean, if Nick, Nick Melvoin, the vice president of the LA Board of Education is like, you can strike on us all right, you want. Right. Come, yeah, sure. It was like, but... 90% of our funding comes from Sacramento. Right. So let's go to Sacramento. He said, I'll be, I'll march there with you. Right. You want more money, then we need to go to the state right. and ask them for money. This is not L.A. County withholding money right. from you. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, stay tuned. Looks like we'll have another strike to talk about. We've, yeah. We've had – what number is this, Mr. Sids? You, you've, you've kept count over the last two years. At least half dozen, right? Yep. All right, so and this would be a big one. Yeah. Um, as of right now – 30,000 teachers. Right. First one that's in a – very liberal. Area. Yeah, Very which is a whole city. new yep. interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right, folks. Uh, if you want to find links to these articles, Mr. Siddons will be tweeting them out or has already... In the show notes. It'll be in the show notes The show notes there, don't know. Your show notes are very, very complete. Uh, don't go away. When we come back, uh, we will have special guest... Erica Buddington. All right, thanks, folks. All right, welcome back, folks. We are incredibly excited to have Erica Buddington on Ed's Not Dead, aren't we, Case? Yeah. All right. Uh, the Twitter world is a buzz. It's going to be. It's going to be. Yeah. When once once <laughs> once folks know that we have Erica on, Erica, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. Erica is a dean of students at a Bushwick Middle. Middle school, uh, HBO Def Jam poet, author, YouTube sensation, and overall educator extraordinaire from Brooklyn, New York. She's in good old Brooklyn right now as we speak. Erica is also the chief curriculum officer for the Langston League, a culturally responsive, relevant curriculum design firm that specializes in student workshops, professional development sessions, and more. The Langston League is a team of unconventional educators seeking to address educational and opportunistic inequalities in at-promise neighborhoods through culturally relevant, responsive, fun, and equitable curriculum. The League's primary focus is literacy infused with, uh, help me out here, somebody, steamed. You got it. Okay. Did I get, did I get that right, Erica? Okay. You're going you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna to tell us what that's about anyway. Um, uh, elements, science, technology, engineering, arts, mathematics, and the D is design. So, Erica, welcome again. We're, we're really excited to have you on Ed's Not Dead. Um, I'm excited to be here. Okay. Thank you for having me. Uh, our pleasure. So let's jump right in. Let's start with the Langston League. Tell us about the Langston League. What are your goals? And what should schools and teachers know about when bringing your team on board, if they do? Well, so we're a group of really passionate educators, um, and our goal is very simple. We want to help organizations design instructional material for staff and students that are responsive to the cultural need of their students. And when I say cultural 
Um, I don't just mean where scholars are from, but I mean the diaspora, learning styles, the demographics, um, social emotional learning aspect, the learning partnership between the educator and scholar, and you know their most prevalent needs. And so, if you're bringing us on board, um, nothing, <laughs> nothing is a secret. Everything is transparent. We immerse ourselves in your school. We observe everything, um, and then we have a full-on consultation with your staff, with a focus group of students and the administrators to really talk about outcomes so that we can create, um, innovate, or redesign this inclusive, engaging, and evolving instructional material that you've been envisioning this entire time. And so, um, really, do you want to bring us on board to do professional development, facilitate youth workshop or panel, or to design curriculum? Um, you should just know that we're going to be all up in your business. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's the, that's the yeah, way to be. That's awesome. So the focus of uh, the curriculum is through elements of STEAMED, as we just said. So what does it look like, sound like, um, ex- maybe like any examples, and, and why the addition of design to kind of the old STEAM, I guess? Yeah, so we wanted our curriculum to be interdisciplinary. Um, and so Link to League is split into uh, two cohorts. One of our cohorts, um, they're experts in their field. So they're, we have an architecture and engineering, and urban gardening, a U.S. design and coding specialist, right? And the other um, cohort are experienced educators that have been in the field and have very interesting strategies that go for, that uh, range from gamification to narrative storytelling. And they partner on projects um, to build out something that is very interdisciplinary. We wanted to um, place an emphasis on STEM because, of course, you know the uh, percentage of um, low-income youth and girls um, is really low when it comes to bringing them up the pipeline in that regard. Yeah. And so um, we wanted to make sure that even though we are primarily on the other side, you know, most of the educators here are history and PLA educators, that we added aspects of art and design as well um, to our curriculum. And so what that looks like is we designed for Google Code Next, for example, um, we design a leadership curriculum, teaching students how to be digital citizens, and there are a lot of ideation moments, um, engineering moments, where scholars are using high-order thinking and mathematics, um, even though it is a social-emotional curriculum. So That's, that's awesome. Kind of what like. and yeah. I, I think it's great how you're, you're, you're adding in, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you're, you're adding in different elements so you can basically get a wider array of, of students interested in, and really, yes. and schools interested in what you're trying to do, right? Yeah, it's a bridge. It's really a bridge. So the, one of the things on the league's website you talk about, the curriculum focuses on, on what you call scholars and not systems. Um, build upon what you are just talking about with the addition of design and STEAM at, as a whole. How does, the, how does the traditional curriculum compare to what you're trying to do with schools? So um, a lot of what we believe in you know, it's unconventional, um, and I, I won't say this because I'm not going to get myself in trouble today. But, um, <laughs> oh, no, no. You say you say that. <laughs> uh, there are certain schools that have, you know, scripted curriculum, and they're very by the book. They literally live by manual, and they, you know, don't believe in utilizing scholar context to modify. And so um, when we run into that, when we started this, uh, working on the length of me, we were running into that a lot. Principals who were like handing us teach like a champion, who were handing us um, a responsive classroom book. And, and all of those are great texts and have great aspects, but there is no book or edufag that can encompass what your scholars need, like that all of what your scholars need, right? And so that was what we mean by 
placing emphasis on scholars and not systems. Right. And so when we created um, the way in which we take on a client, it really, we really agreed that there had to be a full-on immersion so that we could really get to know students and build out something for that particular cohort or for that particular organization. And so we had a, um, a school that came to us who wanted to design a history curriculum that was um, decolonized and would engage their scholars um, because they were having difficulty in sheer text in ELA. And I remember, you know, pitching them the first lesson and everyone in the room looked at us like we were crazy. It was a lesson <laughs> on Weeksville. It was a lesson on Weeksville in Brooklyn, which is uh, one of the first free towns in the United States. Uh, and at the end of the lesson, the exit ticket was um, literally the students become archaeologists. They're like buckets of soil with artifacts <laughs> in like plastic bags in the end. And they like pull them out with their hands and right. write down the information into a graphic organizer. And the principal was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> so we're like, yep. Yeah, we're this is it. <laughs> like, this is your exit ticket. We're going to do this once a week on your flex days. And so we did it for six weeks. And like the engagement was insane. As the ticket scores were really high, and the principal called us and said, "I have no idea why that worked, but it did." <laughs> uh, we have a really great relationship with that school. So that's what we mean by scholars not systems. We noticed that we, they had a lot of scholars who had a um, social learning style, or they had they had to be hands on, they were kinesthetic, they had to move. And so, you know, we took that profile into consideration when building out their lessons. So. A couple months ago, maybe a year ago at this point, I wrote a like a piece for our our website called "Curriculum is not the answer." <laughs> it was a big, it was a big, it was, it was a big bummer. Yeah, anyway. but no, but so I I think where I was at that time and what I essentially argued was that um, you know, it came down a lot to individuals in the classroom, um, in terms of teachers, I should say, individual teachers, and getting mm-hmm. kids to believe in them and what they were selling and um. And I, I guess what I was saying is there was no curriculum that could make a sort of, uh, you know, right. like a fake teacher that the kids didn't believe in. Like all of a sudden they're like, oh, no, you're you're great. So I guess the, my question is, you know, where is, well, one, where did I go wrong? Tell me that. And and two, like, mm-hmm. where is that intersection of of teachers and individuals and curriculum? Like, where is that sweet spot? I mean... We have to, you know, that's the first conversation that we have because people often conflate, like, cultural responsiveness and relevance. Like, you can be relevant. It doesn't mean that you're being responsive to right. that particular individual, right? right. And so we have to sit with clients and let them know that, you know, at the end of the day, we can write the most amazing, intriguing curriculum um, if your educators are not engaging, if they're not giving scholars voice, if there's no differentiation, if there isn't access, if there isn't connection, right. if there isn't a social justice, a social justice access aspect, if there isn't gamification, if your educator is not a great storyteller or has something that is pulling the scholars in, the kids are going to be bored. <laughs> <laughs> we let them know that. Right. And so it's important that when anyone gets curriculum from us, that we put on a full-on professional development to show them how we enact the curriculum and we also um, make sure that we stay around it while we're not just going to give you the package and bounce. Like we're there for a few weeks. We're watching, we're coaching. Right. Um, And hopefully, well, most of the times administrators pick up on what we do and then they carry on the work. Um, And so that for me is the intersection is like really internalizing what you're teaching, falling in love with it so that, because ultimately the kids love what we love. Right. 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 And so, true. Yeah. That's what it is, right? And so we create, really, I would say, 
the instructional material that we create, it's fun for the teachers, <laughs> yeah. which is, which is why the kids really enjoy yeah. it. And the, and I was I say this to my new teachers all the time, where it's um, if you're not having fun with it. The kids are going to, they smell it. They know it. Yeah. They know that you're not having fun. They yeah. know that you think it's boring. So, so you got you to gotta make it exciting and for yet, them. And yet we do everything we can to suck the joy out of, <laughs> out of teaching. That's usually something that I say. Right. Okay. Um, so uh, you've got me all fired up, Erica, listening to you. It's exciting. Um, we could have had her on the show about the passionate the passion yeah. teaching is teaching a passion. Yes, we, we could be have. We could be talking wow. about that. Yep, yep. yep. So, so many questions. So... I, I'm I'm picking up that a part of what you do um, or the Langston League does is is really kind of school reform in some way. So what mm-hmm. are, what what other kind of elements um, goes go along with this? I'm curious. Do you the the work that you do with schools is it about how teachers are arranged and and how they collaborate with one another how how kids are grouped i mean are there other implications for organizational structures and the way that schools are set up that you guys get into that the langston league has an impact on so absolutely um there's there's definitely been instructional material we've created that required educators that don't necessarily work together or don't normally work together to work together. Right. Um, and so if we're creating um, the history of music, right, we'll have um, the history teacher and the music teacher work together. And like, we'll have to push the principal to create a prep block Got for it. them to internalize this work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to differentiating, we have to, <laughs> one of the craziest things that we had to design this year um, with seating arrangements and like the explanation of them in mm-hmm. a very gamified way. So like the runway, like putting on a show and like the clusters, things that you think are common knowledge for teachers. But when you have like all of these teacher programs churning out educators who are internalizing the same text and mm-hmm. they kind right. of forget yeah. what got them to this, like, Oh, I want to teach place in right. the first place. Right. right. Because we all want to teach because somebody gave us this right. incredible lesson. We're like, yeah. Oh, I want to do that. And somewhere along the line, it gets lost, right? It wasn't so it, was, it wasn't because we were sitting in rows, like, bored out of our <laughs> no, minds, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, shared right, that with, I shared that with all my teachers, by the way, the, 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 all the seating charts you tweeted. Yeah. I sh- it, it's, it oh, was, yeah, those were – yeah, I saw those. Those were amazing, Erica. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, we interrupted you. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. But, you know, it was because uh, my junior uh, year, my teacher, Mr. Bowman, taught night by Eli Wiesel and, like – stood on his desk and read passages in this really passionate voice. And I was like, oh, I want to do that, right? <laughs> and I never lost sight of that. But then when I coach educators, I realized that they do sign it. And so we have to teach these basic things, right, to kind of get them to understand the reason why the curriculum isn't working. It's not, sometimes it's not because you're boring. It's not because it's not engaging. But you can't even actively monitor because you can't get through your classroom, <laughs> right? Your, your desk was crazy, like simple things from that. Will rectify, so it varies, which is why we have to immerse ourselves. Right, and so let me let me kind of back way out here, and um, you can just totally say if I'm way off base. But it sounds like one of the things that you guys do and and maybe advocate for is like super um, decentralization of curriculum and working with schools, where each school is um, really reflective of the immediate community that it's based in. Um, yeah. and the students that it serves. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the learning is in the kit is in the scholar, not in the system, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So let's mm-hmm. so let's back out. I mean, is that 
a sort of approach, you know, whether it's within New York City, New York State, nationally, that you would advocate for is just kind of the backing off generally of whether it's the Department of Education or, um, you know, state education departments to really give lots of control to individual schools. I mean, have you have you guys thought or talked about that at all? I mean, we haven't. Um, we've been approached by a few uh, depart- uh, state departments of education, um, and then we get into those meetings. <laughs> we get into a lot of discussions where we don't agree on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I do. I would say that um, that's what's worked for us. When we see our scores go up, it's because we've immersed ourselves in a school and created um, instructional material and, you know, not systems, but, you know, we've revolutionized a room or the way a teacher instructs based on the kids, right? So what they're excited about, what they'd like to learn, where they're from. Like, we go into schools and, you know, the percentage of, Latinx students will be 90% and there, there is nothing to reflect who they are in the central text and sure. on the wall and like, there's no Hispanic heritage and there's no, and right. I'm like, how is this possible? <laughs> you want me to engage and you have nothing that reflects who I am in any regard, right? right? Not even an affirmation with like, you know, a Spanish word or two, like, come on. Right. And right. so that's where we come in and, administrators have a difficult time hearing that but when they hear it and you see the percentage we, we have the focus groups and we bring the back our report it's a reality that most of you know i would say about 99 percent of the administrators say wow you guys are right so what so we need to fix that. <laughs> yeah. so the inevitable question is is when you're sitting with those suits or you're in those meetings or you're just working with a school who obviously they want to produce better outcomes they want kids to learn more um, talk, talk a little bit about, uh, when all goes right, what, what kind of outcomes have you seen produced? So I would say about 90% of our clients have seen, um, an increase on several different things. So school culture, right? Mm -hmm. We had a school that we went into and we designed, um, two workshops. One workshop was about a new student orientation workshop because they were a pipeline charter that removed a lot of stereo. I don't know if it removed, but maybe the kids moved or what have you. And we realized that their issue was they had all these new students coming in from different schools in that city. And the pipeline students were kind of, there was some tension between the new students. And we're like, okay, so you've created all of this culture and these systems and these signals for these kids. And then you throw new kids into the mix. They have no orientation. They have mm. no idea how right. these systems work. Right. Right. And, you know, the principal was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> like, <laughs> so we had to create like an onboarding for the kids that where they sit with the counselor, they have like a small group, they had a peer, um, they, that introduced them to the school for two weeks and taught them different things. And the suspension were, I would say about 65% of the suspensions with the new students, it went all the way down to like 11% by the end of that year. So before Casey gets to his quiz show, which we have no idea what he's going to ask you, by the way, <laughs> um, 
I'd also like to point out that Robbie just referred to you sitting with administrators as suits. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, that's totally yeah. Robbie. <laughs> no, she was talking about that. she was talking about she was talking about the, the higher level people than principals. Okay. Anyway, so you're yeah. not a suit, is what I, you're saying? I, I okay. will not classify. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Okay. Okay. All right, all right, Casey. So, all right, Casey. Uh, <laughs> so Erica, f- first of all, thanks for coming on the show, and we're very happy to have you here. And uh, so, uh, so Erica. You became mm-hmm. famous teacher, became a famous YouTube star Woo-hoo! when you covered the Bodak Yellow song by Cardi oh, B. God. Okay. Oh, now my da- my yeah. daughter loves Cardi it's, B. It's okay. The be- she sings it with her kids. It's the best thing on the face of the earth. Okay. Uh, so we want to know, or I want to know, how much do you know about not Bodak but Eastman Kodak Company? <laughs> The now ubiquitous no. and once bankrupt camera and film company. Oh. So I have like three questions. Kodak, That's right. Yeah, there I go. have three <laughs> questions for you. I said Eastman okay. because there's a question about Eastman. Anyway, so number one, where did the name Kodak come from? And I have multiple choice for you. I don't give it to my co-host. Okay. <laughs> the original founder of Kodak was a major fan of Dungeons and Dragons, especially the character Bodak. That's A. Is it B? The name Kodak is meaningless and was chosen because it was impossible to mispronounce <laughs> and dissimilar to any existing words. Or is it C? George Eastman, one of the founders, was born and raised in Kodiak, Alaska. But when he filed for his copyright, the patent clerk spelled it incorrectly. You can phone a friend. Because Crable and I have no idea. One of them was like, it came out of nowhere. I really feel like that's what it was. That's B, that Kodak na- was, name is meaningless. That's correct. Hey, Completely yeah, meaningless. There you go. Well done. Well done. I thought it was a person. Bob Kodak. Bob Kodak. Number two. Tell me that these last two are going to be are going to be shorter. You are such a Debbie Downer. I'm going to kick you out of your own house. There you go. Number two. When World War One broke out, George Eastman, the founder of Kodak, helped the military by making what? Is it A... Unbreakable lenses for airplane photography, B, unbreakable lenses for gas masks, or C, unbreakable lenses for kaleidoscopes. Those are good ones. Uh, Okay, let me get those one more time. Unbreakable lenses for airline photography, unbreakable lenses for gas masks, or unbreakable lenses for kaleidoscopes. Airline photography. Ooh, close. Gas, gas masks. Gas masks. <laughs> gas masks. He did develop some photography for, for airplanes. Anyway, okay. you know. All right. All right. Okay, here we go. you have one more chance to get two out of three. Okay. There's a lot of money involved That's here. Right. A lot of money, a lot of prizes. Number three, which, mu- <laughs> which musician wrote a song called Kodachrome about the film of the same name in 1973? It made number nine in the U.S. charts. Oh, and I will give you a hint. Can I give Erica a hint? No. A, <laughs> she- Paul Simon, <laughs> B, Nina Simone, or C, the Pointer Sisters. Oh, Paul Simon, because I know Pointer Sisters. Oh, that is correct. Right, Erica. One, two out of three. She got the New Yorker there at the end. Very nicely done. The Pointer Sisters. Man, I haven't thought about them in forever. I had to just search up random people from the 70s. (laughs) They had like an awesome song. I thought it was like the early 80s. The Pointer Sisters? Yeah. More than one. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I had to take theirs. They're they're young millennials. Uh, (laughs) 
uh, Erica. Erica's, anyway. Erica's up my age. I know she is. Right. So, Erica, thank you so much for coming on and, and dealing with that quiz, especially for me. That was very special for me. So I appreciate it. I <laughs> threw you. it on the, the co host. They didn't know. Yeah. So, all right. Er- oh, right, okay. <laughs> yes, thank you did. You, you did now. Uh, Erica, uh, for our listeners, where can people find you and follow you and get the full thrust of all that you're doing in education? Oh, twitter.com slash Erica Buddington or twitter.com slash LinkedIn League. Okay. So make sure you follow. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you're not following, start following Erica Buddington. She's she's amazing, and we're going to get you back on the show in the future. Thanks again, Erica. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. All right, fellas. She was amazing. Yeah. Great interview. Great, great interview. Yes. Good job, Mr. Sids. You know. You are you are the you are the king. Even the, even the squirrel gets the nut. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> I was gonna say interviewer. It's, it's even say, a blind yes. squirrel can sometimes find a nut. You know, I know you use that phrase a lot. <laughs> I do use it a lot. I gotta find a new one. <laughs> Does he use that one a lot? Yeah, I do. I've heard I it do. a bunch of times. What's a, what are phrases that I use a lot, Mr. Siddons? You know what? I do that. You know what? That's usually when I'm annoyed with you. <laughs> I don't think you have any like really go to I'm sure you do. I can't think of any right now. We made a whole collage. You made an app for it. Yeah, there's an app out there called Smash Mr. Dodd. (laughs) Smash Mr. Dodd. (laughs) Remember when I went through my gestalt phase? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Was that annoying? So here's here's the real gestalt. Gestalt. (laughs) You're like so phlegmy about it. (laughs) The Frankensteiner. The gestalt. I I still don't know what it means after five years of him saying it. So as we were interviewing Erica, I, I had a thought when we talked about scholars, not students, which I really liked. Yes. That resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a note to Mr. Sids over here about Project Success, standing for Student Unified Curriculum, which I've always thought really meant unifying the curriculum in the kids. The, kid, the kids are the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Tying it, 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 kind of weaving all of um, the outside uh, into the inside of kids, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's their lives, and uh, that's what I heard her saying. Is yes, that, is that what you guys were? Thinking? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. It's it's a curriculum that's completely intertwined with who they are as yeah. people, right? You just and what said, they need. You just said it much better than I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's and I think maybe there's that's the way of the future. That that turns education on its head. Um, because it's like hyper localized. It is yeah. hyper localized. Yeah, it's in the kid. It's in the classroom. And then I guess to a degree, we didn't talk quite as much about teachers with her, um, and what that means for. She did kind of answer you about there is that intersection between the teacher having to be a viable kind of um, figure in mm-hmm. in the classroom. But she really focused on. It seems like it focuses on kids. Yeah. I well, would, I think one of the things she said too. I mean. Is the teacher kind of being interested in in the know, kids? Well, in the kids and what you're doing, and just you know, yeah, you're not a robot. That's true. You're yeah. You gotta love what you're yeah. teaching. You're yeah. you know, yeah. and look, we're yeah. giving you some dynamic stuff to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go collect some. Are they teaching bags passion? of soil? Are they teaching passion? Jeez. Oh, well, I, I want to know more about like what? How do they do that? How do they teach teachers to love the content they're teaching? I, the one thing I will say that maybe it's a loaded question that has happened yeah. to me over the years occasionally that I don't get a lot of emails or messages on Facebook or LinkedIn from students that I had 20 years ago telling me they they loved the way I taught them equivalent fractions. 
it's usually about what I was excited about in the classroom that got them excited. Yeah. And yep. that, and yep. that's, and that's what she was. Or like the day you brought about. in all the snakes. Oh yeah. 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 That I had the snapping turtle. Yeah. yeah. That's what they remember. Yeah. yeah. I know. Which and, is just so funny. Cause you're like, this is so important. <laughs> you have to learn this in 20 years. They're right. like, that turtle was so sweet. Yeah, man. I know. And they don't, they don't really care about the other yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Anyway, she was a great guest, and she's got a bright future, and we'll, we're going to get her back on the show. Absolutely. All right, fellas. It's been a great episode. It's great to see you back in the saddle. Yeah. All right. Yes. Great. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else after that. I was just agreeing. Okay. And I'm confused about whether we're signing off. We're signing enough. off. Yeah. Okay, this, is, this is the episode. I should be able to do this because this this hark, hark back episode. I'm, I'm supposed to be the straight guy on the show, but it doesn't, it doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in. You can find me at RW Dodd, Mr. Crable at Peter Crable, CH Siddons, and of course at Ed's Not Dead PC. Check us out on our website, on Facebook. Uh, shoot us a message, uh, leave us feedback, uh, give us a rating, and we'll, we'll play it on the show. Thanks as always. We'll talk to you soon.